Morning, everyone. Morning. Hey, uh, someone's awake this morning at least. It's good to hear. Uh, my name's Tim. If we haven't met before, I have the pleasure of... Excuse me, am I echoing? I have the pleasure of kicking off uh, our series where we're answering the question or we're looking at what the Bible has to say about what the world needs most while engaging with what our community thinks. So if you've joined us from our community and you have said what you think the world needs most is kindness, welcome. It's great to have you here. Uh, We really hope that today as we explore that answer and look at what the Bible has to say that's helpful for you, uh, we hope that you will see just how wonderful the Christian faith is uh, and we hope that you'd keep coming back and joining us. Uh, one, one thing that I'm just about to do before I start getting into our topic is to pray uh, because we here believe that God's in control of all things, even in control of how we hear what I'm about to say and how I speak. So I'm going to pray and ask for God's help for me to speak well and speak the truth uh, and for us all to hear the message he wants us to hear today. So please join me while I pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we get to come here together and freely look at the Bible together. I pray now that as I speak, you would help me to speak clearly, help me to speak in a way that we can all understand and engage with, and help me to speak the truth. Father, I pray that for everyone sitting, listening here now, uh, or at home online, that you would help them hear, that they would hear your voice, that you would speak to them, also that we might know you better and see your goodness to us all the more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, hands up, who here has seen Schindler's List? Yeah, a bunch of us. Not everyone, but but a fair few. Uh, Well, let me recap the story of the real Schindler. The the movie was based on uh, the man, Oscar Schindler, who was a real man. He lived through World War II. He was a German living in Poland. He was actually part of the Nazi party. Uh, And he owned a factory in Krakow, uh, and he employed... uh, large group of Jews to work in his factory. And seeing the plight of the Jews changed his heart so that he showed incredible bravery and kindness to those who worked for him. He went to incredible lengths to protect them. He would bribe SS officers so that they wouldn't deport his workers. He added an armaments division to his factory so that he could say that these Jews were actually part of the war effort, so they wouldn't get sent to the concentration camps. When the crack of ghetto was liquidated, all, all the Jews were sent out. Uh, 2,000 Jews were killed that night. Another 2,000 Jews were sent on trains to camps. But Oscar Schindler hid all his workers in his factory so that they wouldn't get deported. A very dangerous thing for him to do, a very brave thing for him to do. And, and he continues to use his wealth to bribe officers, to uh, set up trains and systems, all so that he might protect the Jews within his care. And he managed to save a couple of thousand Jews throughout the course of the war because of his great kindness. An incredible act of kindness amidst evil and wickedness and darkness. And obviously that kindness has been immortalised in the movie Schindler's List. If you haven't seen it, I do recommend it. It's a real fantastic movie. It's been a little while since I've seen it now, uh, but it is really very good and quite moving, his kindness. Now, an example of kindness like that, it shows the incredible impact that kindness can have on our world and on individuals. 
I imagine that any one of those Jews protected by Schindler would have felt immense gratitude at the kindness that Schindler had shown them and their families. But we also know that small acts of kindness can be good too, right? I'm sure we can all think of a time without much effort that someone has just been kind to us in a small way. They've been thoughtful towards us, they've smiled at us, they've um, helped us out in some small way. And, and that makes us feel really good and really warm inside. We, we kind of instinctively know that kindness is a good thing. And so we also instinctively know that more kindness in our world is a good thing. The more kindness in our world, the better. And I think, actually, there, there are a bunch of problems in our world that more kindness would go a great way to dealing with. Think about violence and war. If the men and women who were making the charge in these things actually showed a little more kindness, would there be less war and less violence in our world? I imagine there would be. What about uh, the greedy and self-serving corporations? Imagine if those corporations chose kindness over profits. How would that shape our world? I think we can all get a sense that kindness in the right place and at the right scale would actually have a deep impact on our world. But we know not everything can be fixed with kindness. Can't stop an earthquake, can't stop tsunamis. Although kindness in the aftermath of those things has had great impacts on people's lives. As people have come to great lengths to help those who are suffering. Kindness is good for our world, although it can't fix everything. And so really what I want to look at today is, is kindness enough? Is kindness enough uh, to fix the things that need fixing? Or do we need something else? Or, or really, can we have enough kindness? Is it even possible to have enough kindness to deal with some of the issues in our world that we see as real problems? Can we rally the world or, or rally the leaders to be kind enough for long enough to make a deep, lasting impact on our world? And I want to see today what the Bible has to say about that because I do believe the Bible has answers. And if you're just checking out church, Jesus, Bible for the first time, I think you'll find that there's actually surprising answers to be had, answers that are full of hope and answers that are directly applicable to us here today. And so as I dig into these things, I've already prayed this and my hope continues to be that you'll hear God's plan for this world and God's plan for your life and that you would see the impact kindness can have. So how about we get straight into it? What impact can kindness have? Well, what impact has kindness have? What I want to do firstly, uh, for my first point, is to dig into the impact kindness has had on this world. And, and I want to show you that kindness, it is good, but it's limited. Kindness is good, but it's limited. Or to put it another way, being kind is good, but we're not always great at it. Being kind is good, but we're not always great at it. Let's start with kind of global kindness. We'll look at global kindness, then I'll look at individual kindness. So uh, when I'm thinking about global kindness, philanthropy comes to mind because the word philanthropy literally means to love mankind, all right? To love, to be kind to mankind. And if you 
you get very good stats on the global impact of philanthropy. So it's a really helpful place for us to start. As I was looking at global kindness, I came across um, some really interesting information. And I'm going to share it with you. Uh, but there's two sides to this story. So I'll share one side, I'll share the other side, okay? There has been an increasing global trend of kindness and philanthropy over the last half quarter century. So uh, out of a survey of 230,000 philanthropic organisations, try saying that fast, over 230,000 of them, over a third of those were started just in the last 25 years. So we're seeing an increase in this kind of works of kindness in our world. We're seeing an age of philanthropy kind of happening. And the majority of this philanthropic work is uh, being really well thought out. So they're aiming to put resources into sectors that will actually help and shape the world. So the first and largest place that people put money and resources and time is actually into health, to give people the uh, immediate needs they have to, you know, send doctors out to the third world uh, and to give basic medical training and supplies to people that don't have them. Really wonderful work to make people's lives, well, to stop ending people's lives, really, to deal with their immediate needs. But then the second and third most, uh, the third largest area of philanthropic investing, I guess you could say, is education and things like farming and, and fishing and, and forestry and things like that, which... We address people's immediate needs with their health and then we look to their future and say, we can educate you to a point where you can break out of these systems and trends that have put you and your family in poverty or, or we can give you the resources so that you don't need to rely on an income. You can grow your own food in your village and things like that. And, and so people have really thought about how to do it well. Another survey of these kind of organisations sums up the motives behind this kind of kindness. And so let me show you this quote. Many wealthy people were driven by a sense of moral obligation. Or to put it another way, they felt that because of their immense resources, they had to be kind to the world. They had so much, others had so little, they ought to be kind. That's what they were driven by. And I think that's really good. People are moved to these great acts of kindness to share their incredible wealth, to make life so much better for so many people, but this is only one part of the story. There are other reasons for all this money being sent into the world. In 2021, the richest 1.1% of the world owned 45.8% of the total wealth. Now, that's just numbers. Let me show you pictures. Uh, uh, on the left there, that blue is the 98. 9% of people who aren't the richest. And that tiny little slither is the 1.1% richest people. But the amount of wealth they own in the graph on the left is almost half of it. 1% of the world owns almost half the wealth of the world. Now, to really drive that home, you are in that 1.1% if you have over a million dollars in wealth. So if you own the home you live in, you are in that 1.1%. If you have a million dollars in investments or in the bank or whatever, you are in that 1.1%. And I dare say that's actually many of us in this room are in that 1.1%. We are part of that tiny, tiny little slither. And we are part of that giant chunk of the, of the green on the right, which isn't to say 
that what we're doing is wrong. It's just to show us where we sit. The reason there's so much philanthropy now is because there is so much wealth inequality. The reason why we can have people being so generous is because they have far, far more than their share of wealth in this world. Income inequality is unimaginably high, it continues to increase, it'll continue to drive this. But not only is income inequality behind this, or wealth inequality, but the motives in it aren't that great in the end. I showed you a quote, but let me actually show you the whole quote, because that was just the first part. This is the whole quote. Many wealthy people were driven by a sense of moral obligation. Good. As well as a fear that when equality becomes too acute, it may threaten peace, stability, and the free enterprise system that created such wealth. So they are driven by moral obligation and fear that so much inequality will destroy the systems that have given them the wealth that they currently have. That's what's motivating much of philanthropy. Well, that's what's behind much of it. That's not to say that's the only motivator, or that's the majority motivator, but it sits underneath all that's there. Greed sits behind the generosity and kindness that we see on a global scale. And, and, and people are starting to realise this, and you can go Google some of this stuff, and you'll find a bunch of people uh, talking about motivations behind it and how it's actually driven by these systems that people want to keep generating wealth, and blah, 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 blah. You can go look into that more. But I'm going to stop there on that one. There is kindness in all this, but the kindness is flawed. There are people being kind, and being kind is good, but we're just not that good at it. We're just not that great at being kind on this global scale. Well, what about small acts of kindness, the individual act of kindness, you, you to your neighbour, or to the person walking the dog, or to your family, or to your friends? What impact does that have on our lives? Research says that being kind is actually very good for you, and there's stacks of research that says this. Being kind is good for you, it's good for the person you're kind to, uh, it increases serotonin and dopamine, which make you feel good, and they regulate all these things in your body that help you be healthy, your mood, your appetite, digestion, blah, 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 blah. Being kind is good for you. Acts of kindness release endorphins, which lead to what they call a helper's high, you know, that good feeling you get when you help out. Small, spontaneous acts of kindness give the greatest sense of purpose and contribution to community. Do you feel like you don't belong in your community? Being kind can help. It increases your sense of purpose and contribution in that community, whether that's the church community, your broader community, whatever community you're a part of. Kindness is good for both the giver and the receiver. Kindness is a good thing. But, here's the flip side. In a study uh, that summarises 200, over 200 other studies on kindness, they collected all that data, they looked at it all together and come up with some uh, conclusions based on these over 200 studies. This is in the concluding paragraph of that. Helping others makes you happy. Good. But the effect is relatively modest. It does make you happy. It, it does make you feel better. It is good for you. But it's not the best thing for it's not going to change your life. It's good, but the effects aren't long-lasting. And so what do we do with this? How, how do we, should we just stop being kind if our motivations are mixed and it's, you know, it's good, but it's not that good? What should we do? Well, still be kind. 
We absolutely ought to be kind. We know it's good. It's good for us. It's good for others. We just have to be realistic about the impact that it has and look at our own motivations behind it. Being kind is good, but it's limited. It's not life-changing. It's not world-changing. We'll get into the Bible a little bit more in a moment, but Jesus himself says that being kind is good. When asked what the greatest commandment is, he gives two. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second one is this, love your neighbour as yourself. Be kind to others. And when asked who their neighbours was, Jesus says, everybody's your neighbour. You might remember the story of the Good Samaritan who helps his enemy. Or in that first Bible reading we, we read, the Ten Commandments, the first four are about God and how we treat God and, and live towards God. But the other six are really about being kind to one another. You want to be kind? Don't murder. That might be obvious. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Honour your mother and father. The Bible loves it when we are kind. It wants us to be kind. God, Jesus, want us to be kind. But kindness can't fix us. Kindness can't fix everything. Kindness is good for us, but it really is limited. But that's not the end of the story. Now let's move on to my second point. And I want to talk about an unattainable kindness. We want more kindness because, actually, we recognise there's so much unkindness in this world. There is so, so much unkindness. You just watch the news every night and you see unkindness after unkindness after unkindness. But what we realise there actually is kindness, being unkind, is is actually a, a human thing. It's a people thing. Being kind or unkind is something that people do. And so the problem with kindness, or or really the problem with unkindness, is actually a problem with people. It's a person problem. And that's how the Bible describes it as well. The Bible says the problem of unkindness, among other things, is a people problem. It's a person problem. It's a problem with us. Now, I want to come to the second passage we read in the Bible earlier. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can... Grab out your phone and you can just Google Ephesians 2 and you'll have a bunch of links. You'll be able to read it there. We're just going to look at those first 10 sentences that were read out for us. And as we look at this passage, as you get it open, let me tell you a little bit of background about it. It's written by, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul uh, was one of the people who met Jesus after he rose from the grave. And this letter by Paul is written to a church in Ephesus, a church that he started. Uh, and, and it's written, uh, Ephesus is, is a real city, you can visit it today, it's an ancient city, but it's real. It's on the co- in Turkey, on the coast of the Aegean, you can go there today. I know people who have been there. Uh, and in this section, Paul's writing to Christians, people who know, love Jesus, follow Jesus. And he's speaking to them about the normal state of people before God before they come to know Jesus. And he says three things about humanity as a whole in the first three sentences there. Let me show you. The first thing he says is that we're all dead. Look at that very first sentence, that very first opening line. I'm going to read it from my Bible, uh, but it's there on the screen if, if you want to read along there. Paul writes, As for you, that is, Christians in the church in Ephesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Paul says humanity before coming to Jesus is dead. Not physically dead, 
but spiritually dead. And this isn't a, a metaphor. He's saying, no, you really are spiritually dead. Now, I'm not going to go into what that means too much. If you want to find out more about that, please come to a fresh look. We're going to go into some of these things in more depth. I'm just going to move quickly through some of this stuff. What does it mean to be spiritually dead? Come to a fresh look. Ask your questions. We'll answer that for you there. But the second thing he says is that we're enslaved. And you can see that in the very next sentence. So let me read again. I'll just read that first sentence again for us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires, following its desires and thoughts. What Paul's saying there, uh, and what, what the, the part that I'm going to focus on in a moment, is, is that part about gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Paul isn't saying we, we give in to those things by choice. He's not saying we, we have a real decision and we just keep choosing... Uh, our desires and thought. No, no, he's saying we're enslaved to these things. We can't help but following our desires and thoughts. So that's the second thing. We're dead, we're enslaved. Thirdly, we're condemned. That very last sentence, that very last part of that third sentence there, Paul says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. God's wrath is is his response to evil, It's not like a a flippant anger that comes upon him. It's not based on his mood. It's his response to evil. Just like how someone with a nut allergy has a certain response to nuts, God has a certain response to evil and it's his anger. It's entirely predictable and it's his... uh, It's entirely predictable. It never changes. When God confronts evil, his response is wrath and anger. And Paul is saying that because of our sin, because we are enslaved, because we keep giving in to our sins, we deserve wrath because of the evil of that. Now, again, for more information on that, I'm not going to go into that too deeply. Uh, I'm sure you will have more questions about that. Please do join us at A Fresh Look. It's just over a month away. We'd love to have you there. You can ask all your questions. We'll talk about these things a lot more. But for now, I I want to dig into that desires and cravings of the flesh thing, because that's really where uh, we can learn lots about kindness. Because that's a really sorry state that we're in, according to Paul. We're condemned, we're enslaved, we're dead. That's not a great place for us to be. And you see, the kindness problem comes from the enslaved bit. The kindness problem, we can't be fully kind, we can't be truly kind, our world will never be truly kind, because we're enslaved to the flesh and the desires of our heart. There are a million examples of the way that we always look inward to ourself, that we're always thinking about ourselves first. And, ourselves. and I'm sure you can think of times where you've just been like, I know I should do this, but I want to do that. But let me give you a cultural example, one that you may not have thought of, one you may have, I don't know, bucket lists. Bucket lists... I think, are actually inherently self-serving. They're designed for us. If you don't know what a bucket list is, it, it, it's a, a list of things that you say, I want to do these things, I want to achieve these things, I want to be these things before I die. 
That's a bucket list. I want to achieve this before I die. What part of that is other person focused? None of it. It's all self-focused, isn't it? It's inherently inward-looking. Now, that's not to say you can't put things in your bucket list that are other person looking, like, you know, maybe I want to give away all my wealth before I die, or, or I want to go help people before I die, or whatever it is. But most bucket lists aren't populated with things like that. They're populated with things like, you know, I, I want to go to this place, I want to experience this thing, I want to help with that, I want, I want, I want. And that's a fundamentally inward-looking thing because we're enslaved to the cravings of the flesh and our own desires. I want to fulfill all my wants. I want, I want. Do you see how we're so controlled by our wants and our desires? And that would be okay if our wants and desires were good, but they're not. Let me give you my own personal example. Uh, This is my two boys. We went to the Powerhouse Museum on Friday, and this is them in front of this giant seaplane thing, which is really cool. Uh, that's Luke on the left, he's two, Sam on the right, he's four, he's about to turn five. And being a parent to these two boys, I have learned that I'm all about myself. You know, because what, what I really want for these two is I want them to grow up in a home where they know they're loved, no matter what. Uh, like Wayne was saying, he, he feels the love of God no matter what, but he experiences that more as an adult because it's hard to do with kids. But I want my kids to know that they can come to me and I'll be patient and sympathetic and compassionate. I want the best for them. That is a good desire, right? That is being kind towards them. That is not my natural desire for them. That is not my natural desire. My natural desire usually comes out when I'm tired. My natural desire is to be cranky, to yell, to be harsh. My natural desire is for them to leave me alone so I can have some peace and quiet without kids just climbing over me all the time, like kneeing me in the guts and things. That's my natural desire. It is self-centred and self-focused. And even though I love them so much, my natural desire, I have to keep putting in energy to see those good desires happen and to do those things with my boys that will help them feel loved and know that I'm going to be kind and compassionate towards them. I am so enslaved to my desires that I have to keep working at having good desires because my normal desires are not good. And I imagine you felt that at some point too. Your natural normal desires aren't good. You know, you're tired, you push to the limit a bit, so you binge too much TV or you eat too many chips or whatever, you speak rudely to someone. Our natural desires generally aren't kind and good. All this is to say that the kindness that we want to see in our world, because of our natural state before God, we will never see that. We will never see worldwide long-lasting kindness. It is impossible. Kindness is unattainable because of the human heart problem. We can't always be kind because of sin. No matter how much we try, no matter how much we want it, we will never see worldwide change like that because of sin. Kindness can make a difference. It can make things better. But remember, it's limited. It can't change the world because of the problem of the desires of our hearts. But there is good news. Oh, we skipped that one. There is good news. There is a kindness that will change this world. 
There is a kind of kindness that will deeply impact our own lives and deeply impact the whole entire world. And that leads me on to my last point, a transformative type of kindness. Remember at the start I said that there would be hope and there would be surprise? I think that's where we're coming to. Well, I hope you'll you'll see the hope and I think you'll be surprised. Let me say that nice and clearly. Because it doesn't actually start with human kindness. It doesn't actually start with me being kind to you or you being kind to me or us being kind to... It starts with God's kindness. The real transformative kindness, the kindness that we want to see in this world, can only start with God's kindness. Let me show you again from this same passage. So, uh, in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, looking at verse 4, look for that little 4 in your Bible. Let me read the next few verses. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the coming age, sorry, in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. God has made us alive. Remember, we were dead, dead in sin, but God has made us alive. And in doing that, he saves us from the slavery that we were stuck in because of sin, the slavery to our own desires and to our own flesh. God saves us from that. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't pour out his anger and wrath on us like we assumed he would have. Instead, his love overcomes that and he shows his incredible, incredible kindness to us. And then he raises us up with his son and seats us next to him in the heavenly realms. gives us a place of honour. It's like this. Uh, imagine you uh, or, or one of the many people in Sydney who are homeless. And your regular haunt was a gutter outside of this beautiful apartment building uh, and you would stay there because the shelter was good uh, and it was relatively better than some of the other places. So you just regularly out the front of this really quite nice apartment building. Day after day you'd see the residents come and go they always had someone warm to return to, or somewhere warm. They always had some food to return to. They, they had fresh, clean clothes. They could shower whenever they wanted. They'd have hot water. They had all these comforts. And day in, day out, you see them, but you have nothing yourself. That's our natural state before God, right? Living in the gutter, dying, dead. But one day, someone comes out of the apartment building, takes you by the hand and picks you up and leads you into the building. And you don't know what's going on. They lead you to the elevator and they step into the elevator and, and, and you're looking at what they're doing and they press the button for the penthouse. And the elevator rises up and keeps going up and up and up and the doors open into the penthouse. And, and, and this person, they take you in and they get out some fresh clean clothes and they say, go have a warm shower and change into these fresh clean clothes. They're yours now. Go do that. You go have you know, the best warm shower of your life come out, fresh, clean clothes, you, you smell good, you're feeling good, you're warm, you're cosy, and as you come out into the kitchen, you see that they've actually prepared a meal for you, a, a nice hot meal, and there's stacks of food. You're not going to have to go hungry, you're going to have more than enough. And as you're eating, they explain to you, this penthouse where I live, you live now here with me too. I've brought you in, this is your house as well as my house. Everything in here belongs to you, just like it belongs to me. We've been raised from the gutter into the penthouse. That is what Paul says God has done for us in Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead, we were enslaved, 
we were condemned, but now we are loved and in a place of great honour. God is kind to us. In fact, God is kind to us by saving us. And, excuse me, if you remember in that first reading where we read the Ten Commandments, the, the sentence before that very first commandment, what does it say? Remember the God who rescued you out of slavery in Egypt. God is a God who rescues. God is a God who sets the slaves free. God is a God of kindness. He always has been and he always will be. That is our God. And God does this all as a free gift. He doesn't demand payment. He doesn't demand we live a certain way before he saves us. Look at sentence number eight. Uh, in, in that same passage in Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, that word grace, if you don't know what it means, Paul tells us what it means. Uh, for it is by grace you have been saved means it is the free gift. It is a free gift given to us. We don't pay for it, we don't work for it, we don't earn it. Remember, we're living in the gutter with nothing. We couldn't do that. We couldn't possibly earn it or pay for it in any way. But God is gracious towards us. He has done it all. We contribute nothing to our salvation. We can't boast about it. The only thing we can do is accept that gift. Accept it by faith. That is, by trusting that God has done this for us and gives it to us for free. God has shown his incredible kindness to us. And one, one Bible scholar has written this beautiful paragraph about what God has done. Uh, let me read it to you. It's on the screen. He writes, We were dead and so helpless to save ourselves. Only mercy could reach the helpless. For mercy is love for the down and out. We were under God's wrath. Only love could triumph over wrath. We deserve nothing at God's hand but judgment on account of our trespasses and sins. Only grace could rescue us from our deserts. For grace is undeserved favour. That is a free gift. Why then did God act? Out of sheer mercy, love, grace and kindness. This is the transformative act of kindness that our world needs. This kindness transforms us and our world. And let me show you why I think so. God is kind to us by saving us. He sends his one and only son into the world for us. He faces the wrath we deserve. He faces the condemnation that we are owed. He sets us free from slavery and it fixes our hearts. That heart problem, that slavery to our own desires and our own flesh, God has fixed that because he has set us free from that which means we are finally able to not just look inward, but to look outward, to look at our neighbour and be kind to them truly for the first time. Because God has been so kind to us, we now can be kind ourselves. Look at the very last sentence in that paragraph. Uh, verse, Verse 10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Do you hear that? We are created to do good works. We are created to be kind. We are God's handiwork. He has 
made us and he has saved us, set us free so that we might be kind, among other things. God's kindness to us enables us to finally, truly be kind. So is there any hope for this world in terms of kindness? Absolutely, yes, there is. But only through Jesus, only through God who shows his kindness to us. God's kindness empowers us to be kind. So what does this mean for us? Well, if you want to experience this kind of kindness, we'll go back to this one for now. If you want to experience this kind of kindness, if you want to know this kindness, it is offered to you as a free gift. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is is to come to Jesus and and he will set you free from your own desires which, which haunt every kind act that you do. God's salvation is free. He loves you. He wants you to have it. Come to him. If you would like to accept Jesus' gift of salvation today, that's really wonderful. I'm so glad you've joined us and have been exploring these things. Uh, All you have to do is accept that gift. You can come speak to me. For the first 10 minutes or so after the service, I'll just be hanging around down here. You can come have a chat with me. uh, And we'll talk a little bit more about these things. Uh, But I would love you to come speak to me and say, Tim, I I want to accept Jesus' gift of kindness today. That would be really wonderful. But if you're still kind of checking these things out, you, you still want to know more, you still have questions, you still have doubts, that's wonderful. We love it when people actually engage their mind and bring their questions and doubts to the Bible. And that's why a fresh look is going to be so good. It, it was starting, it's a month away, so you've got plenty of time to prepare uh, and think of all your tough questions and think about your doubts. But that will be such a fantastic place for you to come and hear some of these things in more detail. Ask all your questions. We, we believe the Bible has answers to all the questions life has for us. To, to share your doubts and to talk through these things, it's going to be a really wonderful place for you to do those things. Plus, you're going to get some good food and a cuppa and stuff and hang out with some nice people. Uh, so that's a win-win. So please do keep investigating. Join us at church over the next few weeks. Come to a fresh look. Keep investigating these things. But let me finish by summing up. Oh, one too far. Being kind is good, but we're not always great at it. And it is very limited. So that kind of long-term, well-changing kindness that we all kind of want to see is unattainable because we have a heart problem. We can't always be kind because of sin. And our kindness is tainted by our sin. But God's kindness can overcome all those things. God is kind to us by saving us. He sets us free from our selfishness. He enables us to be truly kind. And so God's kindness is the world-changing kindness that we need. Is it possible for kindness to have a positive impact on this world? Yes, through God's kindness to us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have shown us your kindness. Thank you that you have been kind to us when we couldn't be kind ourselves. When we were enslaved to sin and our own desires, you have shown us love and mercy and grace. And so please, in your kindness, help us now to be kind. May your kindness go out into this world and change this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.